0: Church good to uh, good to be together and uh, wow what a video Uh, Jeremy had uh, shared that uh, with us earlier in the week with uh, with Joel and me and just said it just caught his attention and as I sat with that there was just something that stirred deep within me uh, this sense of of a recognition that so many times our sense of faith is based on things working the way we'd like them to If it's good, God is good. If it's bad, where is God? And the truth is, God is. So no matter what we're going through, the reality is, is God is in that space, in that place with us. We often talk about a place of transition being a place where there is liminality, We don't use that word a lot. It is actually kind of a buzzword in the context of LMC right now because we're in a significant place of shift and transition. And so we talk a lot about it. But liminal space is the uncertain transition between where you've been and where you're going physically, emotionally, or metaphorically. To be in liminal space means to be on the precipice of something new but not quite there yet. The word liminal comes from the Latin word limen, which basically means threshold. So we understand that as we're at a place and we're about to step into something new, but we haven't crossed the threshold yet. In truth, uh, that's where we're at in, at Mount Joy Mennonite Church. Today is, in a sense, a threshold day, and this next block of time, a threshold season, an opportunity for God to work. But in that video, that powerful quote at the end of the uh, video, faith begins when you can't imagine what the next chapter holds. You may all wish that we knew what the next chapter holds, but none of us do. Jerry doesn't, and uh, he was chairing uh, he chairs bishop, uh, the, 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 board, the board, and he also uh, functions in a, in a key role of the transition team with this process of discernment, and we together discerned, and we don't know what all it is, do we, Jared? Uh, Joel is here today with his wife, Debbie, so glad you guys are here, and just to give you a little clue, Joel doesn't know what's next. In case you thought the Savior had arrived and Messiah was here, it isn't the case. He's a good guy, really good, but he doesn't know what's yet. And even the thing that's even more scary for some is the bishop doesn't know. Don't tell him. But the bishop doesn't know what all will transpire in this season because we're in liminal space where we're moving from one chapter to another. And you know how a chapter ends or an episode ends in in, in a movie or whatever. You're like, You're going to have to come back next week to watch for the next because you don't know. Well, I want you to think of this in some ways as kind of one chapter that ends like, wow. And you're like, I got to read another chapter. And I want to tell you, you got to read another chapter because what we're entering into in that walk with Jesus is one that is going to be challenging, surprising, and amazing, and sometimes scary. It's just part of the reality of shift and change. The reality is that at the end of the day, whether Jerry or Joel or Jer- Jer- Jeremy or, we got all these, almost sounds all just, j- but in that, they don't know and the bishop doesn't know. God does know. He knows. And he's someone we can trust even when we're in the midst of great difficulties and challenges. He can still form And shape us even, and this is the key here, even and maybe especially when we're in places that are not our comfort zone. Because it increases our need for reliance on something beyond ourselves. In fact, I look at it and say, through 61 years of life, I delight in the challenges more and more in each one I face. Because they have shaped me more than anything else. They've taught me to rely on God. They've drawn me to that place and they have allowed me to experience so much more of who God is. I want to begin today's message uh, with a reflection from my sister Miriam. Uh, Miriam, closest in age to me and in many ways uh, in terms of kind of how we've related over the years, the one that kind of we connect with. Um, and my sister is blind. Uh, my sister Miriam is uh, along with both of my other sisters, so I have three sisters, all have retinitis pigmentosa, a degenerative eye disease, which early onset usually is in the teens, late teens to late 20s, and then there is restricted vision, tunnel vision, and then it's complete blindness for some, or there's just kind of a, a black and white contrast, that's all they see. That's what my sister Miriam lives in. They suffer from that, that. they've suffered from that degenerative eye disease their whole lives. Miriam is a prolific writer, and often writes her thoughts every couple of months about her journey with Jesus in the midst of that place. And uh, she calls that post reflections. And I'm going to read uh, from reflections today. <clears throat> On a retreat some months ago, I misplaced my shoes and couldn't find them anywhere. Now, that, this is weird. Just remember, we could say that and we're like, where did I put them? I'm going to hunt around and find them. No, I misplaced my shoes and I couldn't find them. And while looking all around and moving too fast, I stubbed my toe in a chair that had not been pushed back under the kitchen table. Then I spilled my water bottle, which knocked over the wastebasket, strewing trash over the floor. And then my water bottle rolled off in some corner and I sat down on the floor and cried feeling helpless, frustrated and disheartened by the, lim- the limits of my eyesight. This little meltdown brought me to some thoughtful reflection. I noticed even now, though I know I'm blind, I still often push myself as though I were not. The inner pressure only makes my days more stressful. And the story of the tortoise and the hare from Aesop's fables comes to mind. A hare was making fun of the tortoise one day for being so slow. Do you ever get anywhere, he asked with a, with a mocking laugh. Yes, replied the tortoise, and I get there sooner than you think. Of course, at the end, after the challenge of a race ensued, the tortoise won because the overconfident hare took what? A nap. I wanted to trust and listen to the wisdom of my necessary tortoise pace, and I'm learning to notice my own inner voice that can imitate the mocking laughter and shaming tone of the hare. And I'm coming to see that the real struggle is less about my losses and the things I can or cannot do. My greater pain and suffering comes from the inner conversations I'm having regarding my limits. That inner critical worried part of me says many things, most of which are not helpful. For example, it might say, if you ask for help, you will be a burden. Or it might push you to do things uh it might push me to do things when i'm already overwhelmed saying things like you must go to the event you can't let others down or if you don't go you will be misunderstood my sister-in-law just framed a photo of me from many years ago holding on to the strut of a small airplane it captures the moment before letting go of my hold That is Miriam, by the way, a picture of her skydiving and entering a brief free fall before my parachute opens and I I enter the long, quiet descent to earth. I am now in another kind of wonderful and wild adventure of letting go. I'm releasing my hold on old patterns, fears, habits, and beliefs. My first mobility instructor told me that the pace of my walking would depend on the length of my cane. I use 3 different lengths of canes depending on how fast I want how fast I want to walk. The longer the cane is, the faster the pace can be. There is no cane for running. My pace is slower than the hare, but the lessons from the fable of the tortoise and the hare, the lesson is the race is not always to the swift. I am entering a race without the old worry of being swift. I'm getting there wherever there is, sooner than the hare would think. I recently heard the Navy SEAL's motto, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. I loved it and I repeat it often. It helps me slow down and become aware of the present moment. And I am noticing when a buzzing inner, inner energy is pushing me to rush, when I'm not rushing, I am able to stay present, enjoying things like the gift of movement the sound of the cicada, and the taste of the final little tomatoes from my garden. The reality is that Miriam lives wide open as a blind person, but it causes her to be restricted. That restriction has enabled her to delight in life and be attentive to the voice of God in ways that put me to shame. She schools me and many others. She, does, she, she was a certified nurse, midwife, lived on, on, the, on the border of U.S. and Mexico, helped a lot of uh, immigrant uh, uh, Latina women uh, helping to birth their babies, and then suddenly this wasn't going to happen anymore because she was going blind. And in that context, a recognition that she retooled as a a counselor and then eventually as what she now calls herself a personality coach using the Enneagram and helping people to understand who they are and how God's wired them and enter more fully into their personhood. Continue on. Uh, As Jonathan read the text this morning, from Luke 12 uh, 13 through 24. You may have noticed these very tender and gentle words that Jesus spoke about to his disciples Do not be afraid, little flock. Almost sound, sounds almost too cutesy. Like, really, Jesus, you said that to the disciples? Come on, they were men. But this has to do with the tenderness of a shepherd being able to communicate the essence of his heart, and that is that I want you to focus on what's most important. I want you to grasp the heart of what is here and not just think about all the things you should get done and living with tortoise and hare, the hair mentality of run fast, get a lot done. I'm sorry, we live in America. You know what? Everything pushes us to run fast, get more done, produce more, be a star. And yet it's in the space and context where you are, where I am, and especially in a season of transition where we get to slow down and reflect and listen and hear and obey. These tender words from the, the, this, this transition I felt were like were really words for Mount Joy Mennonite Church in this season. I believe he wants to speak something through, to this in a bigger context than this, just, just this verse. There's the, there's the, the context of, of the chapter of Luke. We're not gonna, we read part of it. We're not going to read that whole chapter, obviously. There's the context of, of Jesus' life and ministry, which helps to put that in a bigger picture. And there's the counsel of the whole Scripture that's around this reality. You can look at it from Jesus' life and the words he spoke. You can look at Yahweh and the way he spoke to the children of Israel. How many times do we hear these words, do not be afraid and yet there are times i'm afraid something comes along something i can't figure out someone i can't fix i've tried that before not real good and things rise up inside that suddenly allow fear to start to creep in and i need to hear those words keith a part of the little flock do not be afraid I knew I was supposed to share something around this theme, but I didn't know what text that I should use. I was just sitting with that. I had a couple of ideas uh, after I'd been asked to share this message, and uh, a week ago, I was in in, in a context where I was hearing someone preach, and as she was preaching, she suddenly just added on to one thought and concept this verse from Luke 12, and it just... Hit me at the core, this is a verse from Mount Joy Mennonite Church. And so I want us to start looking at this from the context of our hearts and our eyes desiring to to feel and hear what God is wanting to do in this this context. I'm thinking of Marshall last week. I got a chance to see last uh, week's uh, service uh, online. And uh, Marshall, as you prayed, where are you, Marshall? You're back there. Thank you. As you prayed Ephesians 1.18, contextualized for this context, I felt like I was supposed to start out our diving into this text with that same prayer. So let's just pray and invite God to direct us. Lord, today, we do not want to be afraid as a little flock. But we want to receive your word, even as it was prayed last week from Marshall, that I pray, Marshall prayed, we pray that the eyes of our collective hearts would be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you, God, have called us, that we may know the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people, and that we may know your incomparably great power for us who believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We move then to luke twelve thirty two this whole verse not just the do not be afraid little flock but it says for your father has has been pleased to give you the kingdom isn't that an interesting con- you're, you're, you're not afraid and then there's this pleasure of god to give you something this kingdom Second half of this verse is just as powerful as the first and they they connect together. This kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is a central concept in the teaching of Jesus. It refers, refers to the rule and reign of God in heaven and on earth. It's a place of peace and love and justice where God's will is done and his glory is revealed. Jesus ushered in the kingdom a new way of living. A new way of being, a new way of seeing, a new way of thinking. And he began to deposit the seed of kingdom thinking in his disciples. And it starts with a trust in God which says, I do not need to be afraid. I am not afraid because of the one who created me and who guides and directs me. Even or especially in the places where I experience tremendous challenge." Jesus called his disciples to not be afraid. And that's a profound connection to this understanding of the kingdom. I want us to look at this passage beyond where it's embedded, but beyond in this chapter that Jonathan just, uh, the section that Jonathan just read. And so it starts with Jesus telling another parable. We're in the context of of Luke 12. And uh, right Right as they're engaging with this, someone from the crowd comes and says, "Uh, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Like, where did that come from? (laughs) But like, you're a wise, you know, rabbi, maybe you know what's up here, but at least you can be a a bit authoritative and tell what's here. And he said, watch out. Uh, Jesus said, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Deflected away from the question and then said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he goes on to tell this parable. The crop of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought of himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, and then you will get what you, you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. A question about inheritance, which, yes, has a lot to do with can I get more, is deflected back to a kingdom principle, which is don't focus on possessions. In fact, he speaks to this in two different ways. First of all, in Luke 12, 15, after the question he addressed, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I look at that and I say, wow, I live in the context of, of American Christianity and quite honestly, I could be fooled by this one. <laughs> because what I observe and see is that, that that spirit of mammon or possessions or wealth or greed is dominant in our nation. And you know what? It's pretty dominant in the church. Just saying. I think this is one of the most difficult places to live out this lordship peace in the context where we live is because we live in a context of abundance and in that, we continue to try to grab and have more and more and more. It just, we all do. Every one of us at some point, that, it just creeps in. And, and when you feel like somebody else has something nicer than you or they got to do that trip or you look at Facebook and you only see them when they're on vacation, but it sure looks like they're on vacation every other week, doesn't it? And you're like, who am I? Your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It's part of kingdom thinking. It's a part of what Jesus was depositing in the life of his disciples. Amy, thank you so much for quoting John Wesley. This thing is not how much of my money will I give to God, but how much of God's money will I keep for myself. That, that doesn't really preach well in, in, in America. There's a couple of things now I'm finding that you don't preach well in our, in our context because we bought another theology, we bought another doctrine. When I travel to the global south, other places, though I find the seeds that we plant in other places by what we've worshiped, not all bad because there is the God in that, but this one wants to rob us. And it's one of the places where the deposit is there that we have to look at. Thank you, Amy, also for testifying to the faithfulness of God providing finances. And God's going to want to do those kind of things again and again because this John Wesley quote is going to rise up in this season in new ways, not because we say I should, but because suddenly the revelation of what matters in the kingdom begins to be revealed in this house. It's already here, but I believe this next season that truth is going to be revealed in this house in a way that is going to release a whole new way of kingdom expansion because provision will come from within for things God's doing beyond these walls and beyond this nation. We live in a culture that is obsessed with stuff and that does not impress the Lord. Sorry if I'm being harsh. Actually, I'm not sorry at all. But the reality of, sorry if it doesn't feel good when the toes get stepped on, but the reality is this is part of what's embedded here. Do not be afraid, little flock, has to do with he's giving us the kingdom. When he gives us the kingdom, it actually changes the way we live. It changes our values. It changes our heart. It changes our priorities. And that is what he calls His church and his followers' disciples to be a part of. Interestingly enough, he then goes on to tell the parable that I I just read. And then at the end of that, here comes the zinger. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. You see, there's two kinds of poverty here there's the poverty of possessions where i don't have enough toys or and this is the part that always breaks my heart is the problem the reality is for some people the poverty is i don't have enough food for most of us we can't even imagine that one but if you've done and and this is not true outside of our nation it's increasingly a problem in our nation and I'm not—I'll get off on a soapbox if I start preaching this. So I'm only simply saying that context. The reality is that it's a there's a poverty of possessions, and there is a poverty of spirit. The poverty of not having wealth and richness toward God. This is a kingdom axiom. It's a kingdom principle that God is saying, this is where your focus is. It's on the things that matter to God, the things that break God's heart. And then Jesus shifts the focus here. And we move on in that context. And he shifts the focus toward his disciples. See, Jesus loved his disciples. And they were a ragtag group. I, you know, and just so we put it in, in perspective, I think the disciples were less ragtag than we are. Okay? Again, like I, I guess it was my offended congregation Sunday, but the reality is, is that we weren't there. You don't know how much shift was happening in the way they were thinking about what made sense because he was ushering in a new kingdom, a new way of thinking, and they were like, even the religious elite don't agree with him. And he came into that place and he began to plant seeds of the kingdom. And then Jesus goes and he starts to connect with the disciples directly in verse 22. And before I come off of this verse 21, because I'm not, I feel like I'm not quite done there. Another sense I have is in this transition, church, Mount Joy Mennonite Church, I exhort you to be rich toward God. Seek God's face together. Let him break your heart with what breaks his heart. We're at a threshold, okay? We're stepping into something new. And in that context, there are things out of this passage that will be generative because as you sit with them, suddenly, bam, it will pop up. You're like, there's a thing God's stirring in my heart and calling me to. And so he makes this shift in verse. I'm losing my place here. Verse 22, and it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, You've already heard Jonathan read this, but I want you to hear it. Uh, interesting, yesterday was Fall Leadership Assembly. Uh, many of the credential leaders from, from, uh, from within LMC were there, and a testimony was shared about someone who wasn't sure what they could do to try to share faith with somebody else. and so They just started reading Je- Genesis 1 and read through that, like 20 chapters. <laughs> And the Spirit of God met someone that they were meeting with just through reading the Scripture because the Spirit of God hovering and resting over the Word of God with the community of of, of believers is a context for the release of something fresh and something new. And so listen with me to what he shared now with his intimate circle, the disciples. And he said, it's a, it's a, it's a, a reforming, it's a redefining, it's a reshaping of what it means to know God and to be a part of his kingdom. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about life, what you will eat or your body about what you will wear. Life is more than food and your body more than your clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them, and how much more valuable, You are than the birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his or her life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire, how much more will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief can come and no moth can destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As I spent time in this passage and just soaking and listening... I sense the Lord speaking a word to Mount Joy Mennonite Church. It's a simple word. It says, my little flock at Mount Joy Mennonite Church, do not be afraid. I'm going to open up your eyes to see the kingdom in new ways during this transition. Get ready. Prepare your hearts. Love each other deeply. I am preparing you for a new season in this house. And I think back to last Sunday, being able to see this on video and miss this in the notes, but I think this is the time to simply acknowledge this. And that is that I can still hear the words of Pastor Carl standing here declaring these words over you as a congregation. It said, get ready. And this is what he declared over you. He said, you are ready for this. You remember this? You are ready for this. You are ready for the next steps in the future. God has prepared us and God has prepared you as a congregation. You are ready for this next season of God's work among you. And I just affirmed that word and then moved into that context of now them singing the blessing over you. When Jerry shared Friday night at the at the, the farewell for Carl and Nita, that palpable sense of wow, something was imparted. You know what? Your outgoing pastoral couple they imparted a blessing over you, but they were also in harmony with what I'm speaking about from this message today, and that is: this is your day, this is your time, this is the place in which God is at work. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. I'm going to speak it again, the specific word I sensed. It's almost as if this is your Luke 12, 32 in its package. My little flock at Mountville Mennonite Church, do not be afraid. I'm going to open up your eyes to see the kingdom in new ways during this transition. Get ready. Prepare your hearts, love each other deeply. I'm preparing you for a new season in this house. Allow that word just to, to settle in. I will circle back to that as I close. But Joel, would you come forward? Um, I caught you right in the middle of jotting a note. Did you want to finish the note? We, we can wait. Um, but uh, it's, it is really my honor and privilege to introduce uh, Joel Smith. Um, Joel and I have had some chance to interact, and I won't tell too many stories other than my own story, and that is I love this man. I haven't been with him much, but I love this man because I see in him a passion for the kingdom, a passion to help equip people to be about kingdom work.